Let's turn together to uh, Psalm number 69 tonight. Uh, you should have a little sermon notes page as well, so if you want to follow along, you can. Uh, Psalm 69, we're going to pick up where we left off. It's been a couple of years, actually, and so uh, Psalm 69 is the next psalm in order. Uh, not that you're going to go back and listen to all the other ones, but if you'd like to, they're, uh, they're on our sermon audio page. So uh, Psalm 69, here's another psalm of David. Most of the psalms, of course, are uh, psalms of David. So uh, beginning at verse number one, we read this. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom you have struck down. And they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let, not, let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I, am in, but I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the ash, the cities of Judah. And people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it. And those who love his name shall dwell in it. And all of God's people say. 
The Psalms, as uh, you know, or just to remind us, are a prayer book of joy and sorrow, uh, in good times and in bad. Uh, They enable us to express ourselves to God from the depths uh, of our souls. So God has given us uh, these prayers, and we turn to them tonight, uh, and we see in Psalm number 69 uh, a prayer of David for deep trouble, for times of deep, deep trouble. And I want to point out David's personal prayer here, but notice also as I put there on the outline, it's David's personal and prophetic prayer. Uh, This is his prayer. So we'll look first of all at David and we'll see how this prayer is his own prayer. It's his own expression in his own time of deep trouble. But it's not only his prayer. It's not only his prayer. I mentioned this morning that David was the anointed king of Israel par excellence, meaning uh, he was the one ruler by which all other rulers were measured. He is that great king, and so he's the, the, he's the anointed one. The Messiah comes from him, and so the Messiah is called the son of David, and Jesus, of course, the Christ, is the son of David. But no one else measured up to King David. In fact, his own sins we saw this morning. Uh, from 2 Samuel. His own sins show that his son, promised in 2 Samuel 7, his son had to be a king, yet an eternal king. David's own sins show that he wasn't the Messiah. His own sons, like Solomon's sins, show that he wasn't the Messiah. In fact, this Messiah had to be an eternal savior, an eternal king. And so his prayers were his own prayers, but they're also prophetic, meaning they speak forward, Uh, of the Messiah. They are types. They're shadows of the one who is to come. Uh, Just like we see a tree and a shadow, uh, the shadow isn't the tree, is it? Kids, if you, when when it's sunny outside and you see a shadow uh, and it's pointing this way and you look at the shadow, can you grab the shadow? Can you climb it? Chop it down, use it for firewood? No. The shadow, if you follow the shadow's light, or it's darkness, it's non-light, it points back to uh, the reality. And so Jesus is that reality. He's like the tree. And the shadows of the Old Testament, they're all, uh, they're all because of Jesus. But if we follow the shadow, we eventually come to the reality, who is Jesus. So notice David's personal and prophetic prayer. Uh, we can hear him here better. We can feel him, can't we? His plea, notice that, verses 1 through 12, his plea, save me, O God. We don't just hear that, we can feel uh, David's urgent plea. It's urgent, why? Because he says, the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters. The flood sweeps over me. We saw even this past, this past week and all the, all the rain, right? And all the places that you would never think. There was like four feet of water on a, on a highway. How, do, how does four feet of water stay on a highway? It makes no sense. But we, there are houses underwater. There are cars underwater. People, uh, dogs underwater. Uh, we can imagine what David is expressing here, that the waters are up to his neck. He's drowning. He feels like he's drowning. He's weary, verse 3, he says. He's weary with crying out to God. His throat's parched because he's been crying out and praying so much. My eyes grow dim. He's exhausted, you see. He's exhausted. He's completely wiped out physically and emotionally 
and spiritually. In fact, his plea, save me, O God, it's sadly fallen on deaf ears. Look at verse 3 again. He's been waiting for God, he says. He's crying out to God. He's waiting for God. His throat is parched because he's crying out to God. His tears, as he says in other psalms, have drenched his couch and his eyes are dim. He's exhausted, but he's waiting for God. God hasn't answered him yet. That's one of the lessons that we learn from praying, isn't it? That we have to pray and we have to, as Jesus said, we have to ask, we have to seek, and we have to knock. Ask, seek, knock. We have to be like that persistent widow who constantly is coming up to God and asking for certain things. God answers, but he doesn't always answer right away. So he's waiting for God. God hasn't yet listened, it feels like, to him. Uh, And God hasn't even thrown him a life vest in those deep waters. So what are the waters he's talking about? The deep waters, the mire that he's speaking of here. Well, notice what he goes on to say in verse number four. More in number than the hairs of my head... Are what? Those who hate me without cause. Those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me. Those who attack me with lies. So notice how verse 4 explains the meaning of the deep waters, the mire that he's in. He feels like he's drowning. What is he talking about? He's talking about his enemies here. His enemies. He's in a time of deep trouble. He's pleading out with God. Because of his enemies. Think about David in Philistia on the run from Saul's enemies. Or think about David even. We didn't get into this, but later on in the book of uh, 2 Samuel, David is on the run again, this time from his own son, Absalom. So David's in trouble. He feels like he's drowning and he's crying out for help. God isn't answering. And so he admits, verse 5, his own follies, his own wrongs. He pleads that those who would hope and seek the Lord that they don't also experience this kind of a shame and dishonor because of him, right? So he's acknowledging his sins uh, and his wrongdoings. He doesn't want to see other believers shamed on on his behalf for him. In fact, as the anointed one, as the king, he has borne reproach for seven and dishonor on behalf of his people. So just kind of wink, wink on that verse, verse seven. Circle it and highlight it. We'll come back to that, right? Hint, hint. He's the anointed one. And he, he is bearing reproach and dishonor on behalf of the people uh, of God. And on their behalf, he's a stranger to his brothers. He's an alien to his mother's sons, verse 8. Because he has great zeal for God's house, and that's consumed his life. The reproaches of those enemies who reproach you have fallen on him. So these enemies are reproaching God, and those reproaches are falling upon him as the anointed one. Again, we'll see that in just a minute here with Jesus. And even when he does pious things like fast and so forth, verse 10 and 11, he's, more, uh, he's reproached even more. In fact, they even sang bar songs, verse 12, about him. The drunkards are singing songs, mocking and reproaching David. So he's pleading with God. Notice his trust, though. Despite his deep trouble and despite the even more deeply troubling fact of the Lord's not answering his pleas. Look at his trust. Look at his trust. What's his trust in? In God, in the Lord, right? So, save me, O God, verse 1. God's not answering him, but yet he still trusts, right? This is the mystery of faith. He knows that God is the only refuge he has, the only one who can help him, 
God, though, isn't helping him. So what's his answer? He continues to plead and he continues to ask for help. But as for me, notice verse 13, but as for me, in contrast to all those who are reproaching God, who are mocking God, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. So for as long as he has pled with the Lord, wearied his eyes with crying, dried his throat with tears and cries and pleas, tired his eyes out because he wasn't sleeping, the Lord had not answered him yet. And that's what makes the verse 13 so amazing. At an acceptable time, O God. Whose acceptable time? God's. Save me, O God. Crying out every night. I'm exhausted. Wiped out. God isn't answering. It seems like God's not hearing him. But as for me, my prayers to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. Now, no doubt for him, it already was past time to be an acceptable time for him. That's how it is with us when we pray. Lord, I've been asking this. How many times? Surely for me and my timing, it's already beyond acceptable. But yet it's not yet for God. At an acceptable time for God, notice. In the abundance of your steadfast mercy. Again, we have to always notice that that, that's the word chesed. I've mentioned a billion times probably in the Old Testament so far. But this is that special word of God's special covenant faithfulness where God makes promises and God keeps promises. And as I said this morning, you know, our, our future hope as Christians is all based on the past realities of the Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And so how do we know that God is faithful? How do we know that God is, has a steadfast love for us as children and that he will continue to have a steadfast love for us? Because he's already done it. He's already demonstrated it. He's already accomplished it all in Jesus Christ. And so he's crying out. He He knows God's the only one he can cry to. He knows that God is going to hear him, that God is going to answer him, that God is going to help him. But it's not time yet. It's not an acceptable time to God yet. And so in his abundant mercies, he's praying, Lord, please answer me. Please answer me in your steadfast, uh, in your saving faithfulness. And just like in verses 1 and 2, where he mentions his enemies and that he's going to trust God uh, to remember him, he prays, deliver me from sinking in the mire. So notice how verses 1 and 2 uh, are, are parallel there with, uh, there with verses 14 and 15. He speaks of the flood uh, sweeping over him. The pit is closing its mouth around him and so forth. So his enemies are still after him, in other words. And so he asks this silent God. Yes, God is silent at times, loved ones. He asks the silent God, again in trust, answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love, your faithfulness is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Turn to me. So it's like God has turned his back on David. He's turned his back on him. Doesn't hear him. Doesn't acknowledge him. But he's crying out to the same God persistently. He's asking, he's seeking, he's knocking. He pleads and trusts for redemption. Verse 18, draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies and he seeks for comfort and nourishment from the lord because he cannot get that with his fellow human beings verse 20 i looked for pity but there was none and for comforters but i found none 
they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour uh, wine to drink. So he's pleading with God, yet he's trusting with God. Notice that. And then in verses 22 to 28, there's this, what we call an imprecation. An imprecation uh, is, is a calling down of curse upon enemies. So it's asking God to bring down curse upon enemies. And verse 24 encapsulates it. Pour out your indignation upon them. Let your burning anger overtake them. Again, verse 27, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Now, I'm not going to explain all that, but just what you should take away as as a personal thing of David in his personal prayer, in his personal pleading, is this. This imprecation of crying out to God in utter anguish that even the enemies of God would experience the the wrath of God, that should impress upon us just how deep David's experience was, just how troubled he was, just how harsh his experience was, that he's crying out. He's crying out like this, Lord, blot them out. Pour your indignation upon them. But the prayer ends in praise, notice. He ends in praise. The psalm never says, because it's a psalm, it's a prayer, it never tells us that in this particular moment that he was actually, that God actually heard him, that God actually visited him, that God actually helped him when he needed it and how how he needed it. He just ends in praise. Again, so confident is the believer of God's future uh, deliverance that we can already pray now in the present that God's already done what is yet to happen. That's how confident he was. We can be so confident as believers that that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back for us and to redeem the church and and he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. We can so confidently assert that now because he's already kept all of his promises in the past. That's what he's doing here. He's praising God in the midst of his trouble as if God has already delivered him, although he's not, but he knows that he will. Right? You get that? I'm afflicted. I'm in pain. But that turns to let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And that's going to be more pleasing to God than sacrifices. That's what Psalm 51 says. His praise was more delightful to the Lord than the sacrifices and burnt offerings of the Old Testament ceremonies. And humble people and seekers of God are going to see all of his reproaches even though he's the anointed one, they're going to be glad, verse 32. Their hearts are going to revive because the Lord has saved David and they've seen him praise God already. They're seeing David's example. And so others will come to believe in him too. He explains why. The Lord hears the needy. Has God heard him yet? No. But he asserts it. Notice, the Lord hears the needy does not, and does not despise his own people who are prisoners, verse 33. And so he ends in praise and he gives this sort of cosmic call to the creation to praise the Lord, verse 34. Let the heavens, let the earth praise him, the seas and all that, is, uh, and all that moves in them. Everything that has breath is going to praise the Lord, he says. So to sum up David's personal prayer, prophetic prayer, he's the anointed one and he's suffering much. But he prays and trusts for as long as it takes him to receive an answer from God. And 
although he hasn't yet received it, he's already in the here and now, in the pain, praising God and saying that God was going to glorify himself. And so he says, I'm going to praise the Lord and all creation and all of God's people along with me. That's how confident, that's how trusting he was in the Lord. So we see David's prayer. But what about its prophetic aspect? We see here, and I hope you can, you can, you can see it clearly, I, I hope as you're reading that psalm and looking down at it, you can see very clearly here the Messiah's sufferings and glory. The Messiah's suffering and glory. We see in David's type, its anti-type as it's called, we see the Messiah, we see the fulfillment, the reality of Psalm number 69. The waters have come up to my neck. I have come into deep waters. The flood sweeps over me. Do you know that Jesus described his suffering, his passion, and his death as a baptism of water? Do you know that? I have a baptism to undergo, he says. And how great is my distress, he told his disciples. How great is my distress, just like David's, but even greater. How great is my distress until it's, meaning his baptism, is accomplished. The waters come up to my neck. This is prophetic of Jesus. Such distress throughout his life is expressed by the author of Hebrews, who said in Hebrews 5, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him. Save me, O God. Verse 1 is fulfilled in Jesus. In such prayers and supplications, loud cries and tears, the Messiah, Jesus, could say, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with awaiting my God. He cried out, didn't he? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? David's type is fulfilled in his promised son's antitype, who selflessly suffered for us. Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans 15, Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, then he goes on to quote this very same psalm, it's for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Jesus did not come to please himself. He came to accomplish the will of God and to bring God's eternal pleasures and joys to you. Amen? His suffering extended to his own childhood and family relationships. We read this in Matthew uh, 13, coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue and they took offense at him. John 7, not even his own brothers believed in him. Mark 3, his family went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. Do you know that Jesus' family said he was crazy? He was insane for claiming to be the son of God. In human flesh. I have become a stranger to my brothers, verse 8 of our psalm says, an alien to my mother's sons. He suffered anguish internally when he saw the condition of the house of God and the buying and the selling of offerings, leading him and John too to overturn their tables, to take a cord of whips and to, and to drive out all these animals. Zeal for your house has consumed me. Verse number 9. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he told his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Mark 14. 
Then he entrusted himself to the Father, not what I will. Remember he prayed three times? Told his disciples to hang out over here. Keep watch. He goes over to pray and he prays, Lord, if it's possible, remove this cup, this wrath of God from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The disciples are falling asleep, weren't they? Three times, does it back, comes back, comes back. We see that here in verse 13. Again, my prayer is to you. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Now, when did the Father hear his Son and give him that saving faithfulness? Do you know when? Did he answer him and take him off the cross? So when did he answer him? If he died and then he was buried, when did God answer him? The resurrection. The resurrection. God kept his steadfast love, his faithfulness, his covenant mercies in the resurrection. Back to the cross, though, he was sorrowful. Again, verse 20 says, reproaches have broken my heart. That's what David prayed, but this is the Messiah praying. Those who passed by him derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Those are the kinds of reproaches that he experienced. He lamented his comfortless situation. He said to those soldiers, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Verse 21. Again, God would answer him at an acceptable time. He would keep his steadfast love towards him in the resurrection. Look at how verse 18 describes that. Draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. Let your salvation do what? In verse number 29. Let your salvation do what? Set me where? On high. And when he was raised up, he could say, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving and his resurrection and God's answering him and God giving him his mercies and his faithfulness would lead to the salvation of the whole world. Verse 32, when the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. We find that resurrection of our own lives and souls in Christ. And his resurrection would begin a resurrection and liberation of all creation. As Paul describes that the creation now is in bondage to corruption and it's longing for the, the liberation, the redemption of the bodies of the faithful. And so in this psalm, it, again, it prays there in verse 24, let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that moves and everything that moves in them is this prayer for the resurrection of the world. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. And his resurrection that leads to a resurrected new heavens and new earth, Revelation 21, would also lead to a new city to inhabit the new creation. Verse 35 and 6, God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it. Those who love his name shall dwell in it. What does that sound like? And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This prayer for deep trouble finds its deepest, its highest meaning in the work of your Savior for you and your salvation. It's, a, it's beautiful. It's amazing. 
And because we who come to Jesus tonight, those who seek the Lord and uh, those who are the humble, as, as we're called here in the psalm, because we come to Jesus in humility and we, we seek for him and life in him, we're joined to Jesus by faith and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this prayer is also your prayer. It's my prayer. It's our prayer. This is a prayer not only of David and of Jesus, but a prayer of the church. And so we can pray this prayer because you and I are joined to Jesus by faith in the Holy Spirit. You can pray out of Jesus, as it were, in your laments, in your sorrows, and in your tears, praying without ceasing. Because Jesus prayed this prayer, you can pray it. Because you are joined to Jesus, you can pray out of Jesus in utter trust. That because the Lord has kept his word in Jesus and his resurrection, he's going to keep his word with you. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he, God, not also with him, Jesus, graciously give us all things? If God has raised his son and set him on high and given him the inheritance of all the nations, if all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him and he's king of kings and lord of lords, everything is his. Paul says, if that's true, how will God not give, uh, give, uh, give us all that he's already given Christ? Because we're joined to him by faith. He will graciously give us too all things. Because you're joined to Jesus by faith in the Holy Spirit, you can pray out of Jesus in, even in imprecations, this, this crying out to God. And in times of, uh, we might sometimes pray in foolishness this way. We might pray in times of, we just kind of snap and we lose our cool. We lose our, our sensibilities. We don't pray in love at times. And we pray these kinds of things. But we pray them most of all, not against personal enemies, right? Not our neighbor, uh, not some person in our family we just, we just can't stand some person that is an enemy and that we just want to see them come to their end. No, we pray this kind of asking God for his judgment upon enemies when we hear words like this from the Apostle Paul. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Rulers. The authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. We pray, though, we can pray those kind of imprecations. God, send down justice against the world, the flesh, especially the devil. Because you're joined to Jesus by faith in the Holy Spirit, you can pray out of Jesus in beautiful praise. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And so, loved ones, you're a Christian, aren't you? You're a Christian. That means that you're joined to Jesus Christ. You belong to him, body, soul, life, and in death. And because you are a Christian who belongs to Jesus, who cried out this psalm in the time of greatest and deepest agony, you're, you, you and I, were never too deep in trouble to pray and to ask God, Lord, save me. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the work of your son, Jesus, who has given us all that we need 
He's given us every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly places already. And so we, we come tonight to, uh, to pray with great confidence. We lament, Lord. We plead with you in our sins and our struggles and wanting, Lord, uh, the good and not wanting the evil, but yet not seeing you do anything about it. And we, so we cry out to you in trust tonight. We know that your son has been raised and we've already been raised in him. And so, Lord, uh, give us all things. Make all things new. Lord, set all things right. Send us out this week in confidence to pray, to know that we are never too deep in trouble. Uh, The waters are never over our head, Uh, that we are never slipping so much that uh, we cannot get any traction and regain our footing. Lord, give us that confidence to pray and to pray because of Jesus and because of him to be so confident Uh, to be able to pray already. Lord, you've already given me all things. You've already raised me up. You've given me a place in the new heavens and new earth. Uh, Lord, every single spiritual blessing is mine. Lord, my sins are all forgiven. Lord, I'm a full child of God, adopted, an heir, and an inheritor of all things. Give us confidence and give us that kind of a joy. And we ask it in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, amen. Let's sing uh, tonight in response while we take our offering. The baskets will go around, I believe. Uh, First is for our